You're listening to World Oil Deep Dive, conversations with energy industry leaders and engineers about the market trends and technologies shaping the oil and gas industry. Now, here's this week's episode. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, we're here with a very special guest today because this is the most frequent uh, guest on the World Oil Deep Dive podcast that you have never heard. But you wouldn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it's uh, it's a funny story, but he's here with us again today, and um, everything is going to go fine this time, right, Chris? Of course, we got Ben, so ben, Ben's going to yeah. make sure make sure everything happens. Exactly, we have an actual sound guy running things instead of somebody who kind of knows what they're doing. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Chris, Chris Combs from Grizzly. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jim. Uh, appreciate you having me all, uh, all, all three times. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's great to be here. Glad we could catch up. Like, what a perfect place to do it and perfect day to do it as well. But, uh, um, yeah, just to kind of dive into, you know, my quick background. This is uh, nearly, wow, nearly 24 years in the industry. It's pretty much all 24 been, years, wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's why I have all this white hair. Uh, uh, glutton for punishment, they might say, but... Um, yeah, so 24 years in the industry, it's it's pretty much all been frack. It's been all pressure pumping for the most part, either directly and um, or indirectly. So, you know, first half of the career was really spent with the publicly traded companies. You know, thanks to J. Weatherford for the most part as a frack engineer. Transitioned into, um, you know, private equity held companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and about that same time, it transitioned into kind of the first foray of what we saw that stepped away from diesel engines powering frack equipment, which was with Greenfield Energy Services, which right. utilized a direct drive turbine technology that's that's making a very good name for itself in the market today. Um, uh, you know, from there, uh, it was part of the startup management team at Evolution Well Services and, and was oh, there. Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't oh, yeah. know that about your history. Yep. Oh, interesting. Yep, yep. Yeah. So w- while we were there, so I was there uh, pre-commercial, uh, mm-hmm. pre-commercial there. So I came on in um, early 15. We commercialized mid-16 with a group, uh, uh, I'll, I'll go back in time and say Brigham Resources was, <laughs> right. was the yeah, first, yeah. Uh, first, uh, first customer that Evolution had. We were out in the Delaware and uh, just really, I mean, if we wanted to stress test that, we couldn't have found a better place to do that as far as, you know, 110 barrels a minute at, you know, 10, 5, 11,000 wow. PSI. So yeah. we were, we were pulling some horsepower. We were definitely putting everything to the test, including that turbine. And, you know, the, uh, uh, again, I, I guess as a, Un, uh, unintentional way to stress test the power gen package. <laughs> we were there in the middle of June oh, wow. at 3,000 feet elevation with, you know, very little humidity, which is, you know, pretty detrimental to the performance of that turbine, but but it did great. Um, we, you know, we made it through. We expanded the footprint out to uh, four fleets with a unnamed uh, a public producer <laughs> and uh, a couple more of that. I think when I left, we had six fleets under contract. So the de- wow. technology had definitely kind of proven itself. Yeah. And I knew that that's what I wanted to be a part of, um, you know, kind of going forward. So uh, fast forward to that, it was, you know, a, a small pressure pumping company called Praetorian that myself and another guy, we basically passed the hat uh, amongst friends and family and, and <laughs> raised some startup capital and kicked that off. Unfortunately, you know, the market began to t- deteriorate pretty heavily pre-COVID, and then COVID was kind of the, right, you know, the yeah. final final coffin nail, if you will, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, we built a good business and had a good time doing so. And, um, you know, at that time, kind of at the 
at the decline of Praetorian Energy Solutions came an opportunity to pair up with, you know, two business partners to, uh, to, to co-found. It wasn't the founder. It was, it was Nathan O for sure. Uh, but to co-found VoltaGrid. Oh, okay. Which yeah, has right. done really yeah, well yeah, as yeah, well. Right. Absolutely. Yep. And that was about the time I met uh, the managing partners, you know, John, um, uh, you know, and Jason and those guys. And uh, uh, we developed a good relationship during that time. And, uh, you know, I took a break from VoltaGrid and uh, ushered in the electric frack program for next year. So, oh, okay. Yep. Wow. Yep, yep. Wow, you've made the rounds. You've been everywhere. Uh, it's, yeah, for, for better or worse, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it, but it's been fun. It's, it's been a lot of never the same day twice. Right. Um, which has definitely kept it interesting in me. And, you know, this market really kind of, uh, you know, this industry kind of sucks you into where, you know, whether it's feast or famine, um, you know, you kind of stay in it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it it's really really fascinating. I I really enjoy this business for that because there's always something new going on. There's always new technology. There's always something uh, you know that hasn't been done before that people are trying to accomplish. And so, for me, that's fantastic. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, I think that's one of the things that uh, you know the the oil and gas industry has really excelled at is meeting the needs of the market. Right. So as we begin to talk about new ways of doing things, new ways to gain efficiencies, whether it's, you know, whether it's, it's using kind of the latch system for rig lock, mm-hmm. whether it's using kind of a hot swap system that, right. that Downing's coming up with, like even just something that's going to add, you know, 60 seconds of efficiency between stages. And then you kind of compile that over, you know, 10 different technologies. I mean, that's how we're really getting close to being able to safely and effectively frack near 24 hours a day yeah it's crazy right, right i right. mean uh, almost no downtime it's, uh, it's and, and, and doing it with a lot of fearful people you know injecting capital into the market right i mean right. you know 2015 i think the the financial you know the the uh, the, the lenders and investors got you know kind of a, a cold feet about ofs right um so I, I think we've had to do a whole lot with a whole with with a small amount of tools in the toolbox right um, well I, I think that's interesting because that led to a lot of innovation right 100%. You, you, you talk about the the patent wars and how that kind of froze everything for a while and then people were just like well uh we can't stop let's figure out ways to do this that won't violate any of these patents that are floating around let's let's figure out new ways to do things that's you right know? Interested in all things oil and gas? We've got a podcast for you, The Energy Pipeline. Join us each week as we cover the latest trends, transformations, and success stories alongside various key figures from the world's leading energy companies and beyond. Listen to The Energy Pipeline wherever you stream your podcasts or visit cat.com slash energy pipeline. And so, um, yeah, necessity is the mother of invention, especially in our industry, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of segments of, of society that uh, is not really on our side. So we, we again, it just you know kind of uh, uh, you know proves the point that you know when we open up, we don't see t- ten sets of wrenches in there. We see one wrench. Uh, <laughs> and we we got to make that work some way somehow. Exactly. You know, we take a flathead screwdriver and then we put something together. Um, but but yeah, it's led to a lot of these innovations, such as you know the exploration of of using reciprocating engines, uh, right. uh, such as some of these guys have done, the Volta grids of the world that you know previously were used for compression primarily. Right. So you take something that's existing, you make it better, and you you apply it, and uh, you reap the benefits of it. So um, the same thing with electric frac technology. There's just so many moving parts. 
when you think about the constructs of a diesel engine, and, and hey, don't get me wrong, Tier 4 DGB and, and diesel assets have served the industry incredibly well and will continue to serve the market Absolutely, for a long yeah. time, right? I mean, those guys out there that uh, that haven't gone electric yet have still built a very, very credible, you know, businesses out there for themselves. Um, but, but we see that as kind of the next wave, right? Whether it's, and when we think about it, we want to characterize it as 100% uh, natural gas burning equipment, right? Right. Because you, you can talk about, you know, direct drive turbines, still 100% natural gas. Right. If you're talking electric, still 100% natural gas. So that's where, you know, Grizzly has really kind of been able to see ahead of schedule and capitalize on, um, you know, as it started, was basically, you know, a reefer business. Right, right? exactly, so yeah. It's, hey, you, you need to take a tier two to a tier four DGB, We'll convert it for you, no problem. If you, you need a you know rebuild of some type, we'll take care of that, right? Whether it's like a level two, you know, three, one, two, three uh, refurb, um, you know, that's what the business was really built on. And that, you know, just to give you kind of an, an org chart, if you will, a business org chart, you know, Grizzly's held by Python Holdings um, as the parent company. So we've got some sister companies also, one of which directly ties into EFRAC and industrial applications as well with Patriot Power Group. Right. right. So um, a large focus on aeroderivative turbines, you know, 30, 35 megawatt turbines that are mobile, kind of built to be able to support, you know, um, supplemental power in places that have been hit with, you know, disasters, uh, seasonal power, uh, EFRAC support. Right. right. So, and and I think that's pretty much where they're at now. Is right now because we see such a uh, um, I don't want to say a pot of gold, but you know we want to <laughs> put everything that we can towards supporting E fleets, considering that's one of the sister companies' kind of primary focus. Uh, so right now we've got assets on the PPG side that uh, sit in. Uh, the Appalachian Basin, and also sit in the Permian Basin, and I think more assets are actually headed to the Permian Basin due to some recent contracts that have been signed. So awesome! Yep. Hey, so, speaking of Python, look who just wandered in. We have the uh, one and only John Fleming joining us on the microphone. Am I the one and only? I think there's other John Flemings out there. They just don't do it. Not like you. Not like no, you. Not with as good a hair as you have. That's true. That's true. So, uh, John, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I see you got a cigar. Do you, do you have a whiskey there, too? I, I actually have a water. I'm, my, my focus is uh, less drinking, uh, more business right now. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we were just talking with uh, Chris about what he does, his history, right. uh, Grizzly, coming down to it. And now we're going to get into some of the tech uh, there at Grizzly and and uh, specifically your, your EFRAC design, right? So how, how is that going? How's the adoption of that? I mean, for me... Uh, who's not a technical guy? I was really impressed when I when I first saw it. I mean, the whole concept of it. Hey, we can reuse these old trailers. We can set something up. We don't have to have uh, you know the power source directly on the trailer. All of those type of things was really revolutionary. How how's it going out in the field? Yeah, no. So, so to walk you through it, uh, you know the the concept of Envirofrac has been alive for probably the better part of eighteen months or so plus. Um, Yep. And, and it really kind of came to fruition, I'd say, over the past year, uh, you know, as Grizzly uh, finalized the packaging of the prototype unit, which is a it's it's a twenty five hundred horsepower unit. The production model will be three thousand, of course. But, uh, you know, we had some really uh, great supporting clients that wanted to take it to a, a Permian test pad. And again, no better place to test new technology That's than, for sure. you know, where you've got 
virtually 47% of the U.S.'s DNC uh, representation sits in the Permian Basin between the Midland and Delaware Basin. But uh, um, we had a chance to come out and test the, uh, test the prototype on a pad. Uh, we put about, we had put about 300 hours, 350 hours on the test pad at Grizzly HQ. Right. And then we pushed it out to the Permian and we pulled in about another 450 hours, 425, 450 hours. And through that, I mean, when you think about the comparison, uh, of a, you know, a tier two or or just a regular diesel frag pump on a average rate uh, perspective, we displaced 2.25. Wow diesel frag pumps to the one envirofrac. Impressive. Yeah. 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 And a lot of the reason of that is, you know, you lose so much horsepower with a diesel engine because you're going to get derated. You got a 2,500 horsepower frag pump. You're going to lose horsepower to the transmission. You're going to lose it to the drive shaft. You're going to lose it to the cooling system. You've got a lot of parasitic loss. And uh, uh, with this, there's virtually none. There's a little bit. We estimate about 8% loss. Uh, just due to cooling systems primarily, and uh, you know, just auxiliary support that we need to uh, that we need to account for. So at the end of the day, um, you know, if you look at, so w- we were fortunate enough to, and, and I won't name the, the the client, but we were fortunate enough to have some actual diesel prices, and for the diesel pumps that it would have taken, just from a fuel, just to talk about fuel savings, right. generally speaking. Um, it would have cost about $264,000 for that 450-hour pad to right. run 2.25 pumps on diesel at their price per gallon, which I won't disclose. You can probably do the math, um, versus we ran that pump off of the grid, the public utility. Wow. Right? We're talking Encore. Right. Yeah. Right. At a, at a very, very attractive price per kilowatt. Uh, and we were able to do that for about $23,000 versus $264,000, which if you look at it just comparatively – it feeds right into what the market is telling everyone that the fuel savings really represents. It's about that 90% savings if you're using fuel gas that you don't have to pay for truck gas. Don't get me wrong. Like CNG is a fantastic fuel right. um, um, option for it, but it does have additional costs. And it's, and it's just like it's, it's just centric to manpower and trucking. Right, right? exactly. To be able yeah. to do that. And, and, and you know, to, to, to basically to um, um, cleanse the gas, if you will, to, to get it kind of, you know, power gen ready if you will and you have all the uh residual knock-ons from that right when you're talking Mm -hmm. about esg stuff because now you're talking about burning natural gas versus diesel fuel you're talking about not you know putting guys out on the road driving trucks around again putting diesel out in the air safety issues of driving diesel trucks around that's right all of that so no that's fantastic right no and to your point i mean there's a human safety factor like if you can use you know fuel gas um it's 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 native to the operator. Uh, you know, a lot of times, depending on how you know a lot of these uh, lease contracts are, are constructed, you might not pay anything if you're right. taking that that natural gas as a fuel and you're actually consuming it on that section or on that lease. Like it's just a write-off, right? And, and that's not everybody. Everybody's got their own ways to do it, and I don't want to, I don't want to rub anybody wrong on saying that's the way some things <laughs> yeah. happen. Right? Wait a right. second, I'm paying for mine. That's that. an absolute <laughs> true statement. Yeah, right. Uh, it's like it's, uh, but, but I mean, or you can get it very cheaply. Like everybody's got their own ways that they get things done. So, um, you know, but with that, from a human safety perspective, like I mean, if you see the stats on, and you guys, we all know, right? And and your listeners probably know that. You know, truck safety and, and you know, uh, yeah. crew vans hitting one another or sand trucks hitting each other. Like, it's it's a real problem um, when you have the kind of demand that, that, that 
that we currently have. So, I mean, I think everything we can do to get another set of wheels off the road is, is definitely an improvement. Um, you know, when you think about it from a pure ESG perspective, you know, just really kind of taking out the S and the G for right now, that's probably a, another podcast in, in, in and of itself <laughs> right. uh, when you talk about the governance part of it and the social part of it. But, you know, even just from an environmental perspective, uh, it, just to use the, the field trial that we had, um, it, it took about, I think it was, we did the calculations, it was like 209 cars off the road with what we saved in emissions. Um, uh, and it was CO. Yeah, it was CO that we took off the road from 209 cars for one driving year on average. Wow, wow. Right? So, I mean, and, and a lot of, you know, the, the lenders in the, of the world, you know, think about the BOAs and the Deutsches and, and, yeah. and all these guys that have a, uh, a vested interest, uh, you know, whether it be on the EMP side or the OFS side, that's very real to them. And, and in fact, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, during the time uh, previous to this, I mean, I was receiving calls from, again, like the, you know, the Credit Suisses, the, the right. Dutches. Big guys. And yeah. they all wanted to know, hey, what are you doing? Because, mm-hmm. and, and the reason is they wanted to kind of get an understanding of what the impact is from an environmental perspective because it was impacting it was impacting borrowing bases and it was impacting interest rates. Right. Like if you didn't, if you could not check that ESG box, like you're, they would perhaps regard you as slightly archaic if you weren't doing right, something, exactly. right? Whether it was yeah. tier four DGB, right? Which is fantastic too. Mm-hmm. Um, making some type of advancement towards some type of, you know, improved ESG profile. Yeah. Now that's, that is interesting. So now you're done with the field trial, right? So you got that, you got that done in the field. So, uh, when does this hit production? Uh, we hope very soon. We hope very (laughs) soon. So we're, we're, you know, we're, we're having, I'd say a multitude of, of meaningful discussions that, you know, and when you make this type of a, of a capital equipment investment, there's a lot of diligence that goes, it goes along with it. You know, if you're a public or a private, because, you know, a lot of times if it's, if you're a private company, you, you may have to go to the street to borrow, right? Um, to be able to backstop this, so it might mean you might have to go get a you know a commercial agreement with your customer first. Uh, they may require that just to kind of reduce the risk profile. Or if you're public, we all know how complicated that can be. Absolutely. You know, to, yeah. um, uh, but it, it's a matter of just planning ahead and uh, seeing how aggressive you really want to be from a risk profile perspective. There's some companies out there that may want to deploy one E-fleet and test it out for a while and see how it works. And then there's some that will, uh, they'll go full boogie and say, hey, you know, give you a press <laughs> release. I, I won't announce their name, but uh, that say, hey, we're, we're going full uh, for E-fleets, right. um, you know, to be deployed as soon as we can get our hands on them. And they've done a great job, the uh, company to be not named, but they've done a great job of getting contracts for those as well. So there's a lot of, I, I think the adoption rate is incredibly high. Um, but then again, I mean, everybody is going to run every one of those assets, uh, rightfully so, until the wheels fall off. As oh, absolutely. Run, right? Whether yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. There's people out there still have tier two full 100% diesel assets. They're mm-hmm. working great for them. They're, you know, they're generating revenue. Hopefully they're paid off by now. Uh, right. So, so they're getting some good return uh, profiles on those. Um, the tier four DGBs, I mean, are still very wildly popular, wild, more wildly Absolutely, popular yeah. today than, than the E-fleets and direct drive turbine uh, technologies that are out there. But it's, it's changing. Uh, uh, but, you know, those still have a very long runway with them. Yeah. No, for sure. That That is, uh, yeah, it, it's fascinating to me that, that business side of it. And I guess... You know, coming out of COVID, there was a lot of um, a lot of supply chain issues, right? It was hard to get parts to put things together. Is, is that pretty much resolved now? 
much closer, I would say. <laughs> That's <laughs> the right uh, way to say it. It's getting yeah. close for sure. It's, it's not where it was uh, pre-pandemic or pre-COVID, uh, but it's much improved compared to what it was, say, 12, 18 months mm-hmm. ago. Um, you know, for example, you talk about these big, you know, hot rod, 3,000 horsepower motors. You know, you, you call a supplier and, you know, you might have heard anywhere from nine months, which you might have been skeptical about, right. uh, you know, to 18 months to 24 months. Uh, but I think everybody's really dialing it in, uh, you know, to be able to get pretty attractive on that. And, you know, one of the unique things, and I'm trying to make this as non-commercial as I can for, for, for Grizzly, <laughs> uh, but maybe with just a little bit of a, with a little bit of pride in that direction. But one of the things that we've been able to do is really dial this in to be able to produce, you know, from the date we receive a PO from our client, um, you know, to the day that they that they would take delivery, we see that about the nine month range. Really? Right? Yeah. Wow. One hundred percent. And it's just because you know we've got some unique connections on the supply chain side mm-hmm. that have allowed us to have access. You know, John's been a big help on that too, to be able to get our hands on certain components that might be otherwise a little bit you know problematic or a, a bit more extended from a time perspective. Oh wow! Right. And John, you do that. What do you find these? They fall off a truck. How That's do you what find he does. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I just follow these eighteen wheelers down the road. We send him that to overseas like, hey, and just go, hey, go, don't come back till you find it's some. Got motors. a dent on it. Can I get a discount on it? Can you just deliver it to Grizzly? So, but yeah, no, for sure. I mean, listen, it, the partnerships that we've set up over the last two years, really establishing this. You know, we're we're looking forward to Envirofrac expanding into the market. Right. There's a lot of conversation about a lot of things out there, uh, be it these these big, you know, uh, six or uh, excuse me, uh, almost uh, six thousand horsepower driven units that are electric uh, tier four DGB tier twos. I mean, I was in Midland last week and the 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 array of conversations, it's all over the place. Wow. And but the, the greatest thing to me, it's it's I think that the realization is. And I thought, and, and I was, and I, you know, I was one of these guys that agreed with it was that the tier four DGB was going to probably have a seven or eight year shelf life, right? Before we really got into tier, or excuse me, not tier, but yeah. into the E-fleets, right? Mm-hmm. Evolution being out there, the things developed by, we'll just say, Profac slash US Well before the acquisition, Halliburton, you know, a lot of companies that had the foresight to develop all this. And so, and good for them. But they're, they're still smart, right? They're still right. sticking with some of this Tier 2 that's going to help generate revenue. They're really developing the Tier 4 because they have clients that aren't ready for uh, electric. And they want to have that, that dual capacity, especially with DGB, if they need to use field gas right. or bring gas in. So, you know, good on them, you know, smart stuff. And uh, here's the frack. Yeah. Well, and, and John, you could probably speak to this uh, from the Python Holdings standpoint. Do you guys... Um, because you have the turbines and stuff and you have all of that do you do you offer a uh, a package like if you're getting ready to sign somebody for uh you know the efrac uh design that you got going or you say hey we can power those things too or are those already committed elsewhere yeah no that's exactly what we're uh, one particular uh client that chris is having conversations with and we are too operationally, they want to have that package, right? Right. Python Holdings as a whole uh, offers the power, offers the equipment, and and actually offers the technology uh, from the command center side, right, with Wildcat. 
Right. And so, uh, and, and other opportunities we've got relationships with. Um, we did do what I think was a smart idea with a particular uh, a partner of ours with the technology drive that's moving forward. Uh, matter of fact, um, they're working on the AI side of things right now. Oh, interesting. Which should really, really advance uh, the technology for these e-fleets moving forward. Right, it 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 it'll be a, a, a whole maintenance program within itself, and good on them. Yeah. And this is stuff that we talked about when I was on that side of the business, which is almost six years ago now. So, um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and yes, you know that's what we can provide. And you know, and I and I give a lot of credence to Chris. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some names on. You know, uh, Mitch Bridgeforth, our partner over at PPG. Justin Lippman, who's running that. Yep. Jeff Conter, who's been a, a huge influence uh, for all the companies under the Python headings. Ed. You know, uh, yeah. On the uh, Grizzly side, yeah. yeah for and sure. Ed Garland, too. Oh, and, yeah. of course, you know, uh, you know, uh, much, uh, a lot of high fives go to uh, Seward Supply, our partners. And Ed, Wil and, yeah. and Ed Wilson, God rest his soul. He's been gone just now over a year who got to see this thing finally come to fruition and, and – actually passed away the that Saturday after he got to see it run. So, um, you know, so here wow. we are today. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing some stuff from you guys once you got a fleet in the field and you got it, some real hardcore uh, case studies, you know, along with clients. Sounds like you got great relationships with your, uh, with your uh, upcoming clients. So, um, you know, anytime you can put together uh, an article talking about your technology and them talking about how it's helped them in their particular situation, that's a winner, 100%. 100%. For sure. Well, yeah, well, 100%. that's a winner for you guys, a winner the the content. We, uh, you know, our, our readers are all engineers and operating companies. That's what they want to hear about. What's yep. working? What's working? Yeah, and you, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and you, you know, your, your customers as they're looking at, you know, eFleet technology and, 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 uh, uh, you know, I think there's a couple of things that they really look at. You know, the first thing is it's always fuel savings, right? That's, right. That's the big that's money huge. for those yeah. guys. Of course. Yeah. I mean, when you think about like we know, like, you know, say an average fleet, even with a very attractive price per gallon, you know, might be two and a half million a month. Wow. Well, you think about that now and, you know, you've now dropped that down to, I don't know, you know, uh, whatever, uh, 300 grand a month. Right. Right. That's that's all that's on a month basis. You think about that in the aggregate. It's it's that real adds dollars. Up. It's does. real dollars. And, and to, to even like to kind of continue that further, you think about it from a labor perspective. Uh, you know, your your standard frack fleet might take 15, 16 people per 12 hour shift. This is going to take about 10 people. Wow. Right? So you're, you've got a labor impact now. Right. So now and you've got a safety impact now and you've got fewer, you know, green hats on location. Right. And, right. You know, when everybody everybody always has this misconception that it takes a crew of e-techs to run an, an, an e-fleet. It doesn't. It takes guys that just know how the equipment operates because due to automation, we've made it way super easy. <laughs> Program it in. Let the same guys that run that e-fleet run, but have a strong like a qualified electric a QBW, a qualified electrical right. worker on location um, and have like a, you know, kind of a. A well-seasoned uh, electrician, right. uh, on call at least, you're good to go. And uh, and and I've seen that with my own two eyes. That's not you know that's not hyperbole. That's exactly what I've seen in in, in my history. So when you think about that, 
and you couple in the effects of R&M because, you know, people always will say one of the things we always hear is, well, your price per horsepower, your dollar per horsepower is higher. Well, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, too, you're also talking about an engine. And, and don't get me wrong. Like, again, Tier 4 DGBS, that's fantastic. But when you think about the life cycle of an electric motor, like you might get 60,000 Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and in the frack world, even in a, an aggressive frack world, that's 10 years. Right. Before the first major overhaul of one of these electric motors, right? So you've got a very definitive reduction in R&M assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a reduction in labor. You've got a reduction in fuel. So, yeah, it's, there's going to be a premium on, on, a, um, on an asset level. Yeah, for sure. And everybody's looking for those savings now, right? Any, 100%. Uh, so, you know, I mean, the, the cost savings alone should be enough uh, to make people look at it twice. Mm -hmm. You know, just to say, hey, is this something that, that we could possibly use? John, you were making a motion like you had something to say in there. No, it's just I was, when, when Chris started talking about the the uh, cost savings with fuel, it was pretty fascinating. There's There's one example he cited to a particular client, and... It was it was significant, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I think their total expenditure for a year was fifty seven million dollars in fuel. Wow! Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And um, I think with the breakdown of Envirofrac as a whole, uh, it saved them fifty million dollars. No right? way! Right, and I don't 50 remember million fifty million dollars. Wow. It was a seven million dollar expenditure on fuel costs. And so that was pretty crazy. So, but, uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, Chris had to excuse himself there. He was having a uh, coughing attack. <laughs> it was too much cigar for him, I guess. But He's no, listen, man, it, you know, right on the money, right? And, and it's funny, Chris said, that was, that was, I think that was kind of a humorous shot at me because I'm the one who always uses e-techs on the field, right? Because, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got these electric techs now that need to be able to operate it. But he is right, right? With what, with what we've seen across the board with personnel and people in the, in the field, you know, a, a good mechanically inclined individual, they're going to make a good living. They're going to have a lot of responsibility, you know, and these, and these frat companies are going to start to, uh, making some 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 good dollars nice on what they're needing to do right yeah so. definitely well thank you guys both for uh stopping by being on the show sure. today and uh for suggesting that we record at my favorite place the blend bar man this is the there's no better place to record podcasts than the back room at the blend right <laughs> yeah man we got to twist some arms to get in here so it wasn't that hard <laughs> all right guys thanks a lot thank we'll see you. you next time appreciate it buddy Thanks for tuning in to our show. Please check out the show notes for the links we discussed in the podcast. We value your opinions. So if you have any questions or comments, kindly email them to us at deepdive at worldoil.com. Additionally, we'd appreciate it if you could rate us on your preferred podcast listening app. Lastly, don't forget to visit worldoil.com for the latest technical articles and news about the oil and gas industry.